You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. Did you ever think we'd make it to 50 episodes? Honestly, I was not sure you would tolerate me for 50 episodes. Uh, oh, so. geez. I, I kind of felt the same thing. Well, 50 episodes in, it does feel like a pretty good milestone. I mean, this kind of represents to me uh, a commitment to this project uh, from both our uh, standpoints. And you know, just a lot of learning. I mean, I love looking back on the catalog of of videos that we've done and see how far we've come, like just as a kind of personal achievement to see the things that we ironed out. And and in fact, there are episodes which we have not published because they were so God awful, right? (laughs) And by awful, it's usually me uh, being very uninteresting, particularly in the early days. I had to learn storytelling and responding to questions. I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty evident you're just a much more practiced interviewer and just more comfortable on camera. I think I've gotten farther along the path, but yeah, they're not all winners. And I like to think, uh, you know, we might, we might unearth some of those older gems at some point. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, the idea for this episode came from you, um, sort of farming out this ask us anything format to our audience, because obviously without an audience, we have nothing here. And it's just you and I having a conversation in a vacuum. And the whole goal of this was to really share our conversations out with people and hope that people found it interesting and relatable. And, you know, I think having an audience right now at episode 50 of almost 17,000 people, like that feels like significant and fun. So I, I want to start by saying thank you to everybody who has subscribed so far and has also given us a number of questions and pushed us, pushed back on us and made us think about things. I've learned an incredible amount just from having done this project. Yeah, likewise. Um, I can't thank our supporters enough, whether they're YouTube viewers or podcast listeners, it's it's been tremendously valuable to get the chance to interact with you, to share our stories with you. And probably more than, you know, somebody taking in this content realizes it's been hugely beneficial to me personally in my first two years of early retirement, having this community to interact with and engage with and learn from and, you know, get support. Um, it's just huge. I mean, there, yeah, of course, there's nothing to replace the relationships that we have with people in our actual day-to-day lives, our families and our close friends. But I got to tell you, I never would have anticipated how valuable the exchange we have with our viewers um, would be. And so I'm so thankful. And I hope that this, you know, question and answer, this ask me anything episode is a chance for us to maybe give back and touch on some of the points we haven't covered previously. If your question wasn't answered here, it doesn't mean we didn't like it. Uh, we just didn't have enough space to fit all the great questions in. So we're going to try and get to these uh, to a lot more than we did in our last kind of Q&A episode. Um, and you know, I have a number of them queued up here and we're just going to kind of alternate some of these questions. Both of us are going to answer some of them really more applicable to you. I think one of the unique things here and what it makes this show particularly interesting and appealing is that you're someone who reached Phi, you retired early, and then you're still sticking around to give back to the community. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of that. And I think a lot of the feedback we get is, Hey, it's really great hearing from someone who's actually walked the walk. And, and so um, some of these questions are obviously directed at you. I'm going to start off with the first one here if you're ready to get into it. I'm about ready. The only thing I would add, Eric, and, and thank you, it, it really is. Uh, I appreciate your feedback. It's, it's still rewarding to me to, to get questions from the other side of Phi. I learned from, from your experience as well. So definitely don't think this is one directional. You laugh think, at my experience. I do not laugh at your experience. <laughs> I mean, only on occasion, but my not expense. at your experience. No, come on. Uh, I do want to add one thing, though. Uh, people will want to stick around until the end of this because you and I are going to tackle the number one question that we get asked far more than anything else over uh, the two years we've been filming this. So you'll want to stay till the end to get that one. And I have a different answer. I love it. I didn't look at your answers for these questions, so <laughs> I'm excited to hear how you deal with it. Okay, them. man. Cool. All right. So the first one is from Dines. Yeah. Dines says, do you have any tips for younger people on how to get started on the fire journey and what to pay attention to? Yeah, a couple things came to mind for me on this one, and it it is a great question. I think the first stuff is pretty simple, but 
for me, it's super impactful. Keep your expenses low. Don't turn away any free money that's offered to you. If you're fortunate enough to be working in a country and in a company where matching retirement uh, plans like 401ks exist, make sure that you get at least that match, even in the early days when you can't contribute as much as you'll be able to later. Um, avoid lifestyle creep, right? As you continue to earn more, you get raises and promotions. Try to balance that with investing more. Don't just you know, fall prey to the, the temptation to spend because that creep really will continue. Um, but probably the most important thing is anything you can do as early as you can is going to make huge impact because honestly, the most powerful factor we have to success in fire is time. It's just simple math compounding over time. So those dollars you put in at the beginning, they're the most valuable. Yeah. How about I, you? The, the only thing that I want to add to that, two, two things to add to that really, save first, spend what's left over. And I see my kids who are on the younger end of this you know, kind of new generation coming into this and learning about fire. Um, I see them spending first mm -hmm. and then saving what's left over. And oftentimes what's left over is not very much. Um, yeah. Even just a small saving habit, you know, it, taken with the lever of time, as you just mentioned, it can be just immensely helpful. Second thing I'll say is become financially literate. And I think yeah. this is something right. that kind of escaped me. If you came from a home where financials weren't discussed or finances were a source of stress and strife, you may not have that financial operating system in place. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this person is young and engaged and interested in the fire movement. And so they're already starting to become financially literate, but you know, yeah. we don't know what we don't know. Right. And That's so right. part of this process is becoming educated on the details of developing and being a responsible financial citizen in the world. You know, I have and I'm sure this holds true for you. I have friends in their 40s and 50s, uh, you know, my primary friend group who refuse to engage and educate oh, yeah. themselves on financial issues because. Yep. Even if you're standing at 50 years old, traditional retirement age is 15 years away, right? That's yeah. a long time. And so they're going to look up maybe three, four, five years before they're ready to retire and not know where they're at. Um, That's you know, right. I just had dinner and drinks with some friends this past weekend, and I was talking to this guy about this channel and our podcasts and stuff. And he's like, you know, to, to be honest, he's like, I find it kind of challenging to discuss these things with you. I'm kind of intimidated because I don't have it figured out. And so it's yeah. kind of that head in the sand approach doesn't work. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. I have nothing to add to that. Okay. <laughs> our next question is from a user named Frugal Factor. Great name. Uh, and the question, I think it's really well suited for you, Eric, is how do you know when you've reached your fine number? And then how long do you wait after you've achieved it to really just consider yourself financially independent? Yeah. I mean, I think in theory, if you've developed a sound financial plan here and the number has a reasoning behind it, once you reach the number, there's no reason that you can't just, you know, execute the plan. Right. right. Um, and if I look yep. at like, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but if I look at the kind of end point of my, you know, FI plan, as I'm getting to reach the number, I'm the last thing I'm going to do is build a cash position because I want 18 to 24 months of cash in the bank when I start on day one. And so right. once I get to that, that point and my number is there, then I know I'm, I can execute the plan. And I, I wonder if the root of this question comes with a little bit of uncertainty about the plan. And if yeah. that's, if that's true, I would say revisit it, run the numbers again, uh, think about your spend. How does that correlate to your safe withdrawal rate and maybe add some buffers in there? Um, you know, having said that this is all about context, right? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. If you reach your fine number at the end of a long bull market, 10 year bull market, you know, if that was at the end of 2021, <laughs> yeah, or 2020, guy. right? Yeah, but, it, and and even more so, the people who did it in like December of 2021, oh, right? absolutely, yeah. The high point of the market, you reach that number there, um, you should be really thinking about this pretty critically, right? And, and what kind of buffers you have in place. You're looking at valuations, understanding yeah. the CAPE ratio is really high. Like that's a different situation than reaching your number at the bottom of a bear market, right? I mean, That's right. Where yeah. your sequence risk is way lower, right? You know, right. if you reach your number in at the bottom of a bear market, you are probably in pretty good shape. This is not financial advice, but you're probably in pretty good good shape, right? Because yep. the sequence risk is much diminished as opposed to the bull market. So I would say there's some contextual factors there, and then there's also some number. Um, 
realities that you need to yep. run and be comfortable with. Well put. Okay. So I next one's from Tiffany, Jay. Uh, what do you say when you're asked what you do for a living in casual conversation? Hmm. Well, uh, let me start by stealing a phrase that you just said, context matters. And it really does for me. Uh, I mean, I think if we're talking about locally, like in my town, if I'm meeting somebody for the first time, I definitely don't lead with, hey, I'm financially independent. How about you? Um, <laughs> I say that I work in a winery tasting room. And, you know, if we, you know, dig into the conversation a little more comfortable um, or if it's not the first time I'm meeting somebody, you know, I'll let them know that, you know, I used to work in biotech, did that for 23 years and, you know, I finished up with that and moved here. Uh, I stopped doing that. Sometimes I'll say I retired from that. Um, you know, generally these days I've gotten a lot better with kind of following that up with saying, you know, now uh, I'm a content creator in the personal finance space. Ooh, and ooh, you're owning if that. They, huh? If they jump on that uh, and they're interested, you know, very quickly I talk to them about financial independence, retire early. And, you know, if they want to know about that or have never heard of it, I explain it. I think really importantly, you know, I and I, I think this is very good news for me. I no longer say, you know, I'm a consultant. I don't say. dodge the question anymore at all. Um, I, I, I view that I've really put more and more distance between myself and my former career. I'll, I'll reference it and it does come up necessarily sometimes, but it's definitely not something I lead with. So you uh, you no longer identify with the persona that you developed as a result of work. Is that right? Uh, I think that's true. I would say, you know, like any scientist, I, it's it's a very much a part of who I am. And so yeah, it's yeah. like a default mode I go into. And so it's going to come up, but it's not my primary identity. When did that change? Do you remember? Was it like a year ago or? It's within the last year okay. for sure. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. the first year I'd say I'd much less often found myself kind of going to that place. Comfortable with the hyphenated uh, IMA yeah. ellipsis. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And and you get credit for, for helping me with that and just this natural journey, the progression of time for sure. Yeah, awesome. All right. Our next question is from John, and I think we'll both probably tackle this one. It's uh, He asks, are you rebalancing to add more equities now or keeping the lower percentage to ride through the down cycle? Why don't you start? Okay, so I changed to 70-30 allocation about a year ago. A little bit yep. less than a year ago, 70% equities, 30% bonds, you know, fixed income uh, instruments. And I have yep. since changed that back to an 80-20. You and, have. And that's where I'm going to stay. <laughs> you I promise? Prom I promise. All right. He's on record, folks. You heard him. <laughs> yeah, no, that's where I'm comfortable, man. I, I saw some opportunities here and, you know, I'm a market timer at heart. So, uh, yeah, I had to do it. But, you know, of course, if things get out of whack again and, and the equities start taking off like I expect them to, Jay, on this, 100%. Re on this recovery. To the moon. I'm going to I'm going to rebalance. <laughs> Not too often. Right. How about you? Yeah, uh, my answer is pretty boring. I'm maintaining my asset allocation uh, in. Uh, the last couple of years, I moved to a 70% equities, 30% fixed income portfolio, and that is my position for the time being. Um, later on, uh, depending on how the curve goes, like many people, I may be willing to increase my exposure to equities, but it's definitely not in response to what the market's doing right now. Yeah, cool. We've, um, we've got a lot of videos on this topic, yeah. so check the cards up here. Absolutely, and Ooh. check those show notes because I'm going to link a lot of content for this episode. So please go to twosidesoffi.com. You're going to see all the links to the episodes because we do get comments sometimes. Hey, who's that Karsten guy you keep referring to? <laughs> I try to refer to any background material in the show notes, and I often put those together given all the work Eric does on editing this show. So do check them out. We try to make them useful. I think Karsten should sponsor this show, don't you? I'd be totally fine with that. <laughs> okay, man, the next one. I'm looking forward to this one. Don't oh, disappoint boy. me. I hope I don't let you down. <laughs> What's your biggest regret <laughs> after two years of fire? Asks Nell. All right. Don't sigh right away. I'm going to get to what you want. I promise. I mean, just first and foremost, I am not really a regret person. I honestly feel that every choice I've made in my life, some have been wonderfully positive. Some have been really not well thought out and have led to <laughs> short-term negative consequences. To be about those. <laughs> but in aggregate, those choices have led me to where I am today. And honestly, I feel incredibly fortunate and lucky and privileged to be where I am in total. However, I absolutely uh, can look back on my first two years post-RE 
and wish I had done certain things differently. So probably the easiest one I came up with is uh, I really wish I'd been much more open with my family, particularly my wife, about things that were bothering me, you know, absences I was feeling from leaving work, that validation, that, you know, just feeling like I was contributing. And they were bothering me for probably the first six months after, you know, I left my job and I didn't really say anything about it, but I found myself getting irritable and, you know, through writing uh, the blog, talking to you, it just kind of came to me that like, well, why am I not being more open about these things I'm feeling, these losses? I've, I felt that surely most people who retire must feel. Um, and once I did, it was, you know, it was a big help. Um, and it's just kind of silly that I kept that in. I think I'm a pretty communicative person. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, I was kind of keeping that stuff in feeling like, well, this is just short term. I'll work through this, whatever it is, but I wasn't really being honest with myself and therefore I wasn't sharing. But maybe the underlying cause of that feeling itself yeah, was what? Just to put it, uh, I'm trying to put yeah. a finer point on it because, you know, if I'm someone sure. pre-fire looking to, um, kind of prevent some of these regrets from yeah, happening, absolutely. like yeah. what could you have done to prepare yourself so that, because I know yeah. there was a symptom, right? Yes, uh, yes. That was a symptom of some larger issue. I think what I would advocate people do that I absolutely did not was, you know, as you're wrapping up your job, you know, the date is in sight. Really think about what are those things that you get from work, you know, outside of compensation? What are the feelings, the powerful emotions that you get that you are going to be leaving behind? You may not have a one-to-one -one swap in mind for them, but you know, for me, just picking on one, I totally missed that. Those positive feelings you get from seeing somebody that you're working with grow and succeed and you know, carry on their own career, um, the feelings of validation for a job well done, you know, beating a milestone or you know, achieving whatever goals you've set out for yourself. Um, sure, there's small victories in your daily life as a as just a human being outside of work, but I really had never done that exercise of, okay, these are the things I gain the most value out of, of at work that are not going to be there. How am I going to deal with that? Um, so I yeah. think just doing that simple exercise, and it doesn't, it's not something that's going to necessarily take a long time. It's going to provoke thought, but had I done that, I think I would have been better set up for success. Yeah. Or not retired. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I, I like to think I would have. <laughs> Cause I'm right. thinking like, okay, my, I'm sorry. I don't want to, I don't want to go too long here, but I'm just thinking about my wife. Like, okay, there's certain things that I know she's getting out of that job that are yeah. going to be really hard to replace. So, and I bet there people are. in our audience are going to have a similar kind of feeling. I mean, you're not going to get a lot of validation out of a pat on the back for making some avocado toast at home. Right? No, no, not it's not lot. the same validation. It's not, it's not. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, no, no, it's a longer a, it's, conversation, man. I mean, I could, I could go, I could go on that one. Forever, oh gosh. But. I had this, these questions and there are some great questions. Thanks so much for sending them in. It's <laughs> I, so many thoughts I have about future episodes or yeah. even things to write about. But since we have questions in front of us, here's another one. This came from multiple people in different forms and we kind of stuck them together because it, it just makes sense. Uh, I'll ask you to start, Eric, but I'll, I'll jump in too. The question is, how does long-term slow travel factor into your retirement plans? And you know, on a related point, do you have any bucket lists or timeframes for trying certain things in retirement? And how uh, is your spouse part of that conversation? Yeah, so th this is one of the uh, most exciting parts for me, living, like looking at your retired life and living yeah. through it vicariously. Um, I'm starting to build this kind of database. So I use Notion to organize my entire life. And inside of Notion, I have he a does. page called Possible Futures, which is inspired by Derek Sivers, who's an author, um, pretty, pretty famous podcaster. Um, yeah. And he has this post called Possible Futures. And basically the, the post is he gets really excited and interested in certain passion projects. And he goes all in for a month or two. And then he gets less interested in that and he moves yep. on. And so he has this kind of idea of documenting those as one of many possible futures. And so I, I call this page possible futures. And anytime I run across something that I think is interesting, I just catalog it there. Because what I find is like, 
I was reading the New York Times this past weekend, and I'm reading this story about this bristlecone pine grove in California mm-hmm. of like 4,000-year-old trees. And people actually make you know, trips to go visit those groves and camp there. And, and I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. And yeah. normally, if I didn't have a place to collate and archive all of this stuff, that would, that's something I would just forget about. You know, So I put it into Notion in this possible future category. I put places to live. Like I'm following this couple who's been traveling around Europe trying to find a place to live abroad. And they've settled on the Silver Coast in Portugal. So I have their whole like travelogue in there. I, I'm going to Bonsai University when I retire and I've got that cataloged in there, you know, but all these different things. Like I saw a short film yeah. about Desolation Peak in the Cascades. So mm-hmm. I have this whole list of stuff and that's where it lives. It's kind of like this, um, this idea that Tim Ferriss um, put forward in the four hour work week called Dreamlines. Dreamlines, yep. And, and mini retirements. And this is just a, it's a place for me to dream and have fun. And it's, open and available to my wife, but she does not contribute to it. Um, and it's, these are things we talk about and I'll be interested to hear your feedback on how you yeah. and Lori kind of catalog these things. Cause I really, this is the kind of thing that is drawing me into retirement and making me excited. And I think my, yeah. my wife is maybe in a different place right now where she's got so much going on professionally that it's hard to, right. it's hard to keep all those things in the same space. How about you? Yeah, so I love your answer. And even though I knew that was going to be your answer, because you and I have talked about um, your possible futures list in the past, and I loved the idea, I didn't do anything with it. Um, So honestly, uh, you know, guilty is charged, I need to put a system in place, because your point is exactly right. Uh, And now Lori and I have been having conversations for years, like you and Laura, about things we want to do in retirement. Naturally, it's a even more common topic for us these days because, right. you know, we are, I am over the line. Now we still have certain responsibilities for the next few years. We still have a teen in high school, just like you have one still in high school. Uh, from a timeline perspective, that's going to change within less than two years, uh, most likely when she goes to college. So uh, we are starting to talk a little more often about, well, what places do we want to go visit? Because slow travel, you know, staying somewhere for 60 or 90 days or more um, is something that's very interested to us. And we haven't had the chance to do that, like all working people uh, is certainly in the United States don't get that kind of time to do that. Um, you know, we are super interested in, in documenting better. And uh, I'm going to commit to it today. Uh, I will be in Notion. I'm in Notion right now as we record this, but I need to put that page in place because stuff comes up all the time. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little later on in one of the other questions, but I feel like I'm being bombarded by ideas lately that I don't want to lose because, you know, we have this time for as long as we have it and we're going to want to do fun stuff in it. Yeah. You know what? One thing that I haven't really figured out yet, and, and this may not be a satisfying answer to, to the people that have asked us this, but, um, you know, my parents are aging. So I I look at a limited time horizon of time that I have to spend with them. My kids, I have one child in college. I have one that's getting ready to go to college and we want to be here and present for them to visit and, you know, interact and engage with them. And so it's hard when you think about shuffling all these things. That's why I feel like I don't really have it sorted out. That feels like a, a far away aspirational dream rather sure. than something that's real tangible. And, and so I guess for me, the possible futures page in notion is really a way of making it more accessible and more real. Um, yeah. Yeah. but it also, it, it, it keeps me a little bit from committing to it. It's, I have to be honest, you know, I also don't think you should feel pressure to commit to things right now. I mean, yeah. right now you're aggregating the title says it all possible futures. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. Cool. Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Fi, checking in with a quick request. Jason and I love making this show and sharing our conversations, but we need your help spreading the word. The best way to do that is to give us a quick rating and review on your podcast app of choice. And if you know someone on the Fi path, please hit that share button on your favorite episode. Every little bit helps. Thanks. So Jay, from Shay, how can you summarize the fire concept in one to two minutes to persuade friends and family? This is a good one. I love this question, and it does come up. Um, I, I feel like I haven't been asked often enough that I have this thing super polished, but I, you know, I jotted down a couple things that are that are definitely part of how I package this for people. I think the first thing that I always think of when I think about fire, it's you're taking explicit control of spending and investing, and part of that is making very specific plans to achieve a goal of financial independence. And as we've discussed many times together. 
I define phi as the point after which you no longer require external compensation because your assets are sufficient to fund your projected expenses for the rest of your life. And what that enables, but doesn't require, as lots of people like to talk about these days, is retiring early or RE. So obviously many people may elect to continue working, sometimes reduce their hours, maybe change to a different field, more of a passion project. But the point of FIRE and where I would conclude in answering this is to have the freedom to create the opportunity to choose whether and how to work after you reach financial independence. And that's honestly how I encapsulate it. Yeah, cool. It's a very technical definition. If you wanted to kind of spur on a conversation that was yeah. a little more casual. One thought that I had was if you posited this idea to somebody by saying, if you had $50 million in the bank right now, what would, how would your day to day change? Yeah. And I, I like that as a framing question because we're essentially removing money from the equation. You know, think about right. all, the th- all the things that you spend money on in a week and the things that, you know, money is guiding your decisions in so much of your life. And when you take that out of it, you have the freedom to do so many other things. And I think just as a way of onboarding someone into the concept without Mm -hmm. getting into the technical weeds, that, that might be an interesting way to do it. It is an interesting, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to bring them back down to ground because we do certainly think about finances sure. uh, post-RE. But yeah, it's it's actually a really good point. I'm going to try that. <laughs> have you tried Have you tried that? I have not, no. All right, I'll try. <laughs> Most people I tell, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'll give it a shot, though. Maybe that'll turn out to be an episode. Yeah, cool. <laughs> All right, Eric, our next question, uh, and I think you're going to tackle this, is from Athena. And the question is, have you ever experienced friends or family saying the quest for financial independence? What a waste of your talents. And how did you respond? Yes, I love this question. And I just kind of kind of want to clarify here uh, the quest for financial independence. I think it's pretty hard to criticize that kind of in a vacuum. So I wonder, you know, FI is the money. Yeah. RE is kind of how, what you do with the money, how you spend yep, it. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Um, so I, I wonder if the if the pushback is really coming from the RE side. I, I get I it. You know, so. I mean, this is kind of a, a non-traditional path. It's it's not surprising that family and friends are going to have um, differing views on this. I've certainly approached family that, and they've been 100% supportive. And I've approached friends, and they've been like questioning in this very <laughs> exact manner. And you have too. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. Um, and I think. A couple of things here. One, when I find myself getting defensive, as as I sometimes do, uh, when someone challenges me like this, it's usually a signal to me that I need to do more listening and more thinking mm. about about this topic. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with hearing out a contrarian opinion. Like, no, not at all. It, I mean, it's genuinely maybe something that I haven't thought of yet. And so I think this is a chance for a dialogue to happen. Um, and and generally. The first question that I'm going to ask somebody who's pushing back on this is how were they so convinced? How did they know that what they're doing actually maximizes their talents? Um, Because I think most of us, we're choosing a career, we're choosing a vocation early in life, 18, 20 years old. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I was that well equipped to make a a lifelong decision at that age. And who's to say things don't change or you have undiscovered talents. I mean, starting this business, I didn't know I enjoyed photography and videography and teaching people and all the things that come with running a YouTube channel. Those are kind of undiscovered latent talents that I had. But, you know, if I had stuck with just being an architect, the singular definition of being an architect, I mean, I wouldn't have had a chance to explore any of those talents. So I think it's, this is a chance to share your ideas and your opinions and, and maybe educate from both sides, you know, not try and convince somebody that you're right or have someone convince you that your plan is wrong, but just to maybe have a deeper level of understanding. Um, do you know that book, um, the five regrets of the dying? Have you ever read it? Okay. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I took this down as a note, the top five regrets of the dying. And you know, I'll save if you haven't read the book, I'll save you some time. Here they are. Um, I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And the top regret of the dying was I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, 
not the life others expected of me. And I think yeah, that's, that's the most great. important thing here. You know, if you are getting pushback from family um, and you have this dialogue and it goes nowhere, maybe it's a topic to avoid. It shouldn't get in the way of you pursuing what makes you happy in life, whether or not that maximizes your talents or not. Love it. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to add to that. Okay. It's a good answer. Cool, man. I w I'm pretty passionate about that, obviously. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, Jay, it's for you. It's from Gail. How do you feel about alternative investments like private debt, hedge funds, etc.? All right, Gail. Now, don't think that I'm boring. I mean, I am boring when it comes to investing, let's face it. <laughs> um, but I mean, honestly, I keep it simple. And I always have. Uh, even more so since I've been on my own managing all my um, portfolio. Uh, I prefer low-cost passively managed index funds, right? I mean, if for no other reason, avoidance of fees is among the surest ways to ensure your portfolio growth, right? You're taking negatives away from it. Now, there's a lot of sexier investments, if you will, that are out there, and many people employ them. And I'm not going to sit here and judge that decision, but you just got to be eyes open about the fact that both fees and the risks are higher, uh, going to be more volatile. Um, I think, you know, if you really enjoy this space and studying it and learning the possible pluses and minuses, obviously, do your homework, and you want to devote a, a, devote a portion of your portfolio, I don't know, let's call it 10% um, to such things, I mean, go for it. It's your money. It's your assets. And if you're doing this stuff eyes wide open, more power to you. But I mean, a lot of these things, when you get down to it, sound more like gambling uh, than investing. Not all of them, obviously, but you know, we have all got to choose how we're going to invest. For me, I sleep well at night knowing that I have done what I can to capture the diversity in the market with the lowest fees and that I'm going to be consistent in it. But that's not to say it's the only path. And your time is worth something because managing yeah. an active portfolio like that is takes more work and time. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. All right, Eric, our next question. Uh, I almost hesitate to ask you because it's sort of pings away at uh, topics that you and I have been discussing of late on the show and otherwise. And that is uh, questions from David. And it's given that future 10-year stock returns may be more muted, how does that impact the fire movement? I, I think we both use pretty conservative projections here. Um, I don't know if you're 100%. still using Karsten's uh, safe withdrawal rate toolbox, but it's, I am. it's what my wife and I are using. And he has, I think it's important to look at these real returns and that is inflation adjusted after tax returns. Yep. Um, look at that number and make sure that you're comfortable with it. And I've used Karsten's default because um, he is a CFA and he knows a lot more about this than I do. Um, and an economist. <laughs> but it's a it's a pretty conservative figure. And I think his 10 year um, um, real return rate in that SWR toolbox is like three and a half percent. And if you pull out to 10 years, it's like five percent. Um, and I think for a lot of people who are doing fire calculations, they're using things like 10 percent. Oh, yeah. For equities. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think um, so really think about this in a conservative manner. And if you run the numbers conservatively, um, and you're comfortable with those projections, then I think that's that's the best way to do it. If you're running numbers based on a real high, uh, on the high end of the return spectrum, you're going to get some some skewed numbers here. So For sure. the other thing is, you know, if you look at this headline, if you go, if you Google these exact terms, uh, future ten year stock returns may be muted. Go Google that right now. You'll come up with articles from 2015. 28. Oh yeah. <laughs> like absolutely. This is a recurring theme in the financial media. So I don't know of anyone who can make those projections. And yeah, there, there may be some things, some headwinds, uh, that are suggesting, you know, equity returns are going to be more muted. Uh, but could you have predicted the pandemic? I mean, we don't know where this next recession is going to come from. We don't know where the next credit crisis is going to come from. Like even the experts don't know. So nope. go look at the S&P 500 annual returns. It's like one year it's 38%, one year it's negative nine. The next, you know, over time, I believe that they're marching up and to the right. And you just 100%. have to figure out what slope of that up and to the right you are comfortable making your projections on. Yep, I agree. Okay, Jason, the next question is from Fred. He wants to know if you still keep up with biotech with all the advances, do you ever have the temptation to go back to working in the field? Yeah, that's a good question, Fred. Uh, I don't think I'll ever wholly divorce myself from following it. I, I keep up with it a bit. 
Definitely, I would say less so in year two versus year one after leaving my job. You know, I still get some email newsletters. I'll read scientific journal articles, you know, especially with COVID. There's been lots of opportunity for me to stay educated and try to share that in the ways that I think will be useful. Most of them are not useful, as we all know. Um, but you know, I still talk to friends in the industry who are still working in it. So I hear about trends and things that are going on. But, um, you know, to the second part, none of that provides any temptation for me to go back to work. Quite honestly, I've, I've declined <laughs> numerous opportunities to consult, as I've talked about on the show before. Um, you know, for all of our sakes, the advances are going to keep happening, right? That's not going to slow down. But that doesn't mean it's a driver to me to, to go back to work. Uh, you know, there's lots of talented people out there doing great stuff uh, in biotech. It's exciting, but I'm happy to sit on the sidelines and read about it just like the rest of us are. No regrets. Nope. No remorse. None. No regrets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, next up, Eric, we've got a question that came in in a couple different forms from multiple people, and that is, uh, would it have been okay uh, to just go for a traditional fire instead of chubby fire like you and I have both targeted or achieved here? Uh, or maybe another angle, do you feel like maybe you should have aimed for fat fire? Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, we started on a traditional fire path and through this education process and these exchanges that you and I've had, we just realized that, you know, that number and us a withdrawal rate that we're comfortable with um, didn't support the kind of lifestyle that we were projecting out for ourselves. And right. so that that's kind of where we left that behind. And, you know, we settled on the chubby fire range, which is two and a half to five million because that's what fit our withdrawal rate and our expenses yep. uh, more than putting it in a, a chubby fire container or a fat fire container. I mean, if we reach fat fire, great. Um, but it's not, that's not necessarily a goal. I mean, I see Phi as like, it's not a destination. It's a waypoint and it's a yeah. really important waypoint because it it's a point when we can kind of coast and you know, relax a little bit and step away from maybe some stressful activities. But, um, I'm going to continue to earn passive income. I'm going to continue to do things that earn money. I think just like you do. And I'm going to continue to invest that and grow our net worth. And we're going to use that to, you know, in a directed way that we can do the things that we want for ourselves and for yeah. other people. And yeah, that's so yeah, less about uh, traditional and more about the life we want. How about you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for sure. When we started on this journey and we, you know, came to this idea pretty early, relatively speaking, compared to you and Laura. So I didn't have any vocabulary. There was no buckets right. I could refer to. I certainly <laughs> didn't know about them if anyone had come up with them yet. Um, but admittedly, earlier on, we were talking about more like what would be kind of a lean fire existence. Um, I, you know, I think most of the time we were thinking more about more of a traditional fire type asset targets. But, yeah. you know, as time went on, you know, be, to be quite honest, you know, as we aged, we thought about what we really wanted life to look like, and we liked where it was, um, you know, what our spending was like presently. And so we sort of acknowledged that, well, based on my compensation at work and savings rate, that we would be able to support something very similar to how we were living. Yes, we would want to relocate to a lower cost of living area because housing was the biggest thing that sort of stood out to us as an opportunity area. And so that turned out to be in the chubby fire range, but you know, that's just based on our expenses. It wasn't a specific target. I will say we never felt a push to go bigger, right? Fat fire. Um, I think at this stage, you know, if I ended up doing something, you know, starting up some endeavor that ended up generating substantially more income, obviously, one, it would have to be a real passion project for me to get excited about putting in that kind of work <laughs> right, right. for money at this point. But, you know, maybe if I did that, our lifestyle might change, but we have no plans for it. We're happy where we are at this stage. And yeah, I I don't see any drivers to do otherwise. It does give me a little bit of pause. I'm going to be honest to, sure. um, you know, when we start off with a traditional fire number and then you start earning more and naturally your lifestyle creep happens and yeah. you start experiencing things you haven't experienced before, you know, what happens <laughs> when that, as we age up and, you know, we want different experiences, maybe, sure. maybe more luxe experiences or what, whatever that might be. Maybe we want to, you know, give away more, um, sure. you know, how do we know that this 
snapshot, this point in time where we've chosen a number is the right number. And I, you know, a lot yep. of that is, is just faith and, and knowing, you know, executing a plan and being happy with what you have. And I, and I, I say, I say that just as a means of just getting it off my chest. It's like, it's a constant thing trying to figure out what yeah. is enough. Well, I mean, I, you raise an excellent point and I don't want to go on at length with this, but let me just add something. It was a lot easier for me at 45 to project what I thought I really wanted and what my expenses would more likely, you know, how the, the quality of the resolution of those expenses yeah, yeah, yeah. versus doing it at 25. Yes, and, yes. you know, I get challenged on this point all the time by younger people. And I, I use a lot of phrasing to indicate that I'm not judging uh, and I'm not saying somebody is wrong believing at 21, 23, whatever, that they know what they're going to want at 45. But to be quite honest, most of us, yeah, we don't change fundamentally who we are as a person. I'm not saying that, but, you know, as life goes on, you really start to understand what you want. Maybe you have a family, you have a, a long-term partner. You'll develop that understanding and just, you know, be aware that it's okay to reframe those projected expenses as you age. The number will become, you know, closer and closer to what it, uh, you know, reality will be. And you just have to accept that. And, and all the 60 year olds in our audience are looking at us and laughing in the same way. <laughs> of course they are. Right. Of course they are. I like to think our error bars aren't as large as they were when we were 25. <laughs> yeah. They're still going to be wrong, right? Every model is wrong. How wrong is your model? Well, I like to think it's getting less wrong. Chip Sankey has a, has a chart for that. <laughs> Chip Sankey. <laughs> Hey, Eric here with Two Sides of Phi. If you've been listening to Jason and I on the podcast, you may not be aware that we also have a YouTube channel. And quite often, we have supporting graphics, charts, information, and even a few outtakes that don't fit well in an audio format. So if you're into that kind of thing, you can find us on YouTube at Two Sides of Phi. All right, you ready for this one, buddy? I'm this, ready. This one's from Drew. What sort of decision tree will you use for how and when to refill your cash buffer? Ah, well, conveniently, my first answer is see our recent episode called Is This a Part of Your Fire Plan? Because we talk about my investment policy statement and Eric makes fun of it a lot. But uh, more specificity, I rebalance twice a year in May and November, and I use those opportunities to generate cash to refill my operating account, which is a two-year cash buffer. Um, throughout the year, any dividends that arise in my taxable account, those are also directed to that operating account that's not a huge impact i've not set uh, so and that's not a huge impact as i've not selected for dividend generating funds but that's the cash buffer there's really no decisions to make other than am i out of balance with respect to my target asset allocation what do you do with all the cash you earn from two sides of phi uh well i buy myself uh, a cup of coffee when that check comes out every month and the rest of it uh the just piles of uh, cash goes into my uh, rainy day fund for uh, just stupid expenses of my own that I don't want to take out of our family budget. I just figured you were embezzling all this money, all the profit. I mean, I like to think we have very transparent accounting here because I put it all in notion. You when do. We get, when we get those kind of small checks from YouTube uh, after we pay for our <laughs> web hosting, our domain registration, etc., and it's split down the middle. And when there's a one penny difference, you always get the penny. I did notice that. That's pretty. That's so generous of you because I, I, I have <laughs> not. Penny? I have not reached my phi number yet, so I, I feel like you're kind of. <laughs> I'm helping, man. You're getting that penny every time. It's killer. I mean, uh, compounded I compounded over forty years. That penny is worth what? It, oh, so little. <laughs> it's really just a so lot little. less than it was. Oh. All right. Well, here we go. I have a question from Jonathan. Okay. It might be your favorite. Now, I'm going to yes. ask you not to go on for an hour because this is stuff you absolutely love. And love I'm it. so <laughs> thankful that you do because that's why the show looks good. Um, what is your setup for filming the show? Cameras, lighting, apps, editing. Okay. I'm going to show you. Is that cool? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So I got a little setup here. I'm going to take my earbuds out for a minute, but I'm going to record on my phone here. So we're going to get the fancy. We're going to get the, uh, the full view. Hold okay. on. I got to turn it all around. Okay. Okay. So this is the behind the scenes look here. Jay's going to just have to hear this on the video. Um, okay. So here's the basic setup. 
This is the camera. So this is a DSLR. This is the EOS R and that has the 24 to 70 on it. Just wide angle on that. And that is connected through a capture card, HDMI capture card to the laptop. There's an ATR2100 USB mic. That's the sound here. Really inexpensive mic, got some headphones so there's no audio feedback in here. We're recording into Skype and we're using call recorder, Ecamm call recorder to do that. We take all that footage and we edit it in Final Cut. And the last piece of this setup that's most important is this light over here. So Jason has a little bit of a different lighting setup than I do. Um, this is the Aperture 120D. It's got a huge soft box on the front of it and this just creates this kind of nice soft light that you see and actually it's not present in the iPhone because the iPhone um, uh, quality is not quite as good but that's the basic setup of the whole thing nice yeah my uh my setup is distinctly different I will not do a video tour I'll put a screenshot in the show notes though and you will see my awesome uh YouTube influencer makeup channel ready ring light that Eric hates I love his softbox and his his very uh, professional light source that he has. Uh, for information on Eric's equipment, go to 30by40.com. Um, I probably got his domain name wrong. But uh, he's got links to all his equipment, and I've learned a lot from him. I got the same microphone and everything. But, yeah, my look on my end, it's not as good. I accept that. It's pretty I, good, I man. Think, I, I think it's only fair that your end looks better given – uh, all the work you do in editing the show. I, I almost feel like it's, it wouldn't be right if my end looked as good as yours. That's true. Yeah. I, I, and I can, you know, I make those changes in post. So, you know, even if it did look better, I'd trash it in some way. Yeah, you would. You put a green tint on my side or, you know, put me out of focus slightly. Screw up your white balance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Overcompress right. my audio. Was that quick enough for you? It was. <laughs> So next one, Jay, is from Ken. On the topic of hiking, walking, have you considered long-distance adventures of some sort? Oh, Ken, this is such a good question. Uh, I would say recently more than ever. Um, when I get ideas in my head, they don't leave, and that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's a very good thing. But uh, lately, I have been obsessively watching YouTube videos <laughs> and reading blogs from through hikers. I've you know been getting back into backpacking after a very long time away from it and candidly i was always bad at it and i didn't like it when i was in high school uh and that's changed um so you know i just love reading people's tales or seeing their footage from the appalachian trail the pacific crest trail any any of the caminos um you know i've always had the thought that one of those enormous challenges um would be really appealing from a lot of different perspectives uh you know and i get a taste of that when i do these you know, one day or two day long hikes or walks, um, just the, the benefit of that, you know, traveling alone and being sort of for forced to confront whatever it is you're thinking about at the time, Wildlife. just being in nature. It's just great. Uh, so I'm certain I'm going to be doing some week long and hopefully longer backpacking experiences before too long and seeing how that goes. I've done a few days now and have enjoyed it. Uh, it's too early to say if I'm going to do something more epic than those, that scale of things. But honestly, Lori has been backpacking now, too. So we'll see where it takes us. Assuredly, Eric, you and I will talk about it here if that happens. Yeah, man. I love hiking. I'm, I know I'm you do, and it. you are way better at it than I am. <laughs> I, I always thought you were good at it. I think it was just your attitude that just needed a shift. You know, you always... oh, my attitude sucks. Uh, I get <laughs> oh, does it still suck? Easily. <laughs> uh, my, my overall endurance has always been very good. It made me a better runner than Lori when we were at our top of fitness when we lived in Maine. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I, I have like an internal like competitiveness thing. And I know there's certain people I can't keep up with. And it really frustrates me. And, um, you know, it's... why we can't hike together. It's hard. You're just much faster hiker than yeah, me. But and you're like slow. You're, you're driven to get to the summit or whatever. Like you're that guy in my mind. I'm not saying that's true, but that's my perception. Whereas I'm like I'm willing to and want to stop more often so that I enjoy the whole journey. And I know not everybody wants to stop as often as I do. So I feel guilt about that and I internalize it. And it's it's a whole self-defeating thing that, you know, if I was a better psychoanalyst, I'm sure I could just kind of bullet it all out for you. But yeah, it's reality. I'm honest about it now that I'm older. I'm glad you found a way to get back into it, man. It's a real healthy activity and yeah, I love nothing it. better than being out in nature. The only thing that stinks about those long distance hiking trips is just sleeping on the ground, man. So, yeah, man. The sleeping pads are better than they've ever been. I'll say that. Yeah. And I discovered hiking quilts, which fits me perfectly because I am somebody that overheats very easily and mummy bags in anything but winter are just awful for me. Oh, God. So, I'm the opposite. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lori wants the mummy bag. It's just not for me. <laughs> nope. Okay. Crush that one. So if you know some epic <clears throat> hikes, put them in the comments. Uh, you know, maybe we'll put them on our possible futures list. Uh, Eric, we're both going to tackle this one. It's from Roberto. And the question is, did either of you consider Coastify? And what do you think about this idea in general? I mean, I love this idea and I think it's it's becoming really popular. So just to define Coastfy for people who aren't familiar with it, Coastfy is the point at which your accumulated assets will grow to eventually reach your Phi number at some point in the future yep. uh, without any additional contributions on your behalf. Um, so it means you're not drawing down on your portfolio, but also you're not contributing to it. And that also means that you typically will take a job and let's say it's a less stressful job. You know, you're working yeah. in a stressful position. And I think that's, you know, how people see this kind of like yeah. a mini to retirement. cover your right? expenses. Cover your expenses, right? Which are going to be naturally a lot lower when you're not trying to meet an aggressive savings rate. Right. And um, so you have a lot more control over your lifestyle and, you know, you're coasting into the future. And so I'll tell you, my wife and I, and we, we've recent, recently been discussing this, just looking at our, you know, Phi Horizon and all those things. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I find difficult here is if I had a job that I absolutely hated, and if my wife had the same, this would be much more appealing. Um, right. But, you know, we've basically built positions for ourselves, which we really do love. And of course, there are things about everyday jobs, you know, some stuff you're not going to like, but there's, you just kind of have to endure that. That would be this, the same if we went and got a job just to our, cover our expenses. Um, and so for us, the decision is more about, okay, we're at our peak earning years. Uh, we've built jobs for ourselves, which, you know, continue to pay us pretty well and we have benefits. So it makes a lot of sense for us to continue on until we get to our number that way. And we project forward, uh, rather than, you know, taking our foot off the gas. It's appealing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's not quite right for us. I will say, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you're projecting out on like a 10% real rate of return, that's pretty aggressive. And I, and a lot of these five calculators, if you don't really drill into yeah. the numbers that they're using to make these projections, you may think you're going to reach your goal faster than what you actually will. Um, so yeah, that's, th those are my thoughts. What do you think about coast five? Do you ever consider it? Uh, yeah, my answer is going to be super simple, Eric. I mean, to be honest, by the time I learned that Coast Fire was a term yeah. and what it meant, I was already, you know, well along my own fire path. I also agree it's an interesting idea. I do know quite a few people doing this now, and I think it's a great path for many different reasons. But no, it wasn't something I ever considered. I'm super impatient too, man. <laughs> I, just I am also impatient. <laughs> like, if I know that goal, I'm trying to reach. The, I'm goal oriented. I'm impatient. I'm basically unemployable at this point since I've had my business for nine years. Like I got to keep running the system until I get there. Just like heads down. So yeah, it's not yeah, for me, but I get it, man. So it's a cool concept. I love it. Totally. Okay. So Jay, uh, I think we're both going to tackle this one. Uh, do you guys consider home value when talking about net worth? Yeah. Simple answer for me. Uh, so Paul, the way I think about it, your home value, like any asset on the balance sheet, is a component of net worth. It just is, but it's not a part of your fine number. In other words, that number you need to hit before you say you're financially independent. And that's uh, the only exception to that would be if you're someone who's planning on selling your primary residence to fund whatever you're going to do next, living on a sailboat or whatever you're going to do. Uh, so yes, net worth, no, not fine number. Right. Yeah. We need a place to live. I'm not planning on liquidating the house. So yeah, I'm going to include net worth, but not my phone number. So yeah, same answer. Here's one question I had for you, Jay, was Ooh. do you consider it in your asset allocation? I know you have a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Mortgage is a negative bond. How do you think yeah, about that? I, I don't consider it. I, I understand okay. the math behind uh, mortgage being a negative bond, but no, I actually don't contemplate it at all. Okay. I did talk with uh, the uh, financial advisor, the, the fee-only, advice-only guy that we have done an episode about in the past, um, but I understand the logic, but I don't contemplate it as part of my uh, asset allocation. Something for people who are maybe even more heavily invested and interested in real estate. I know a big part of the FIRE community uh, looks at rental real estate as part of their, you know, their yeah, asset sure. allocation. And if you are really heavily weighted in that, uh, I feel like you have to consider that as part of your asset allocation. It just feels... I do too. Yeah. feels responsible. Jason, from Karen, can you talk about your withdrawal strategy in retirement? Any specific strategies to reduce your taxes? Sure, Karen. Let's uh, break this into two chunks. The first is 
At the present time, our withdrawal strategy is all about funding our lifestyle via a monthly paycheck, basically. Um, I have this operating account. We transfer the month's funds from that operating account to checking, and that's automated, and we just spend from that. And by spend from that, I pay everything with credit cards that I can, and I just pay those off every month. Uh, I'm 49 years old right now as we record this, so the operating account is refilled via sales from my taxable brokerage account. So that is the thing I'm withdrawing from. I do that as part of my uh, twice annual rebalancing, and it's going to be that way at least until I'm 59 and a half, but very likely longer um, because my taxable brokerage account is sufficient that I have that flexibility to be able to use it. Now, regarding taxes, I do what I think of are pretty standard things. None of them are very sophisticated, pretty common ground for folks in the fire community. But that includes things like, you know, selling specified lots, not just going through and, uh, you know, selling without consideration of basis in a position. I do tax loss harvesting. I wish I wasn't doing as much of it as I've done in the last year. Uh, I'm also very mindful of the 0% capital gains limits, as well as any tax deductions and credits that I'm eligible for. Um, and that's important because, you know, I am doing things like partial Roth conversions, and I evaluate the opportunity to do those at tax time every year, uh, you know, because that's going to reduce future taxes once I start taking required minimum distributions at 72 or whatever that age is going to be in case legislation changes. But on the other hand, I've also got to be conscious of ACA subsidy limits. Uh, so it's really about balance, right? We, we don't let all the tax decisions drive behavior. But, uh, you know, at present, I still do consult with a CPA. Uh, I feel more and more confident as time goes on that I'll be able to take that all on myself. But Honestly, right now, I like being able to kind of bounce ideas off somebody who just knows the regulations way better than I do. So, you know, hopefully that answers your question. I think withdrawals are pretty straightforward for me, uh, as are the kind of tax avoidance strategies. It's what do you the, think, Eric? It is the right question to be asking, because in the drawdown phase, it's all about tax management. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, Eric, we've got a question from another Jason. Uh, and his question is, if you could go back in time and change one thing about your FI journey, other than investing earlier, what would it be? This may be just specific to me, but, you know, starting my business is the thing that really changed the trajectory of my FI path and made it probably possible for us to reach this at a, at a fairly early age, I hope. And, you know, that's the thing that allowed me to earn more income. And I think, you know, if you're looking at the calculus of... Uh, trying to reach a fine number, yeah. you can cut expenses or you can earn more. And earning Definitely. more is the thing that's going to affect that. And obviously your savings rate is in there too, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, earning more is the thing that's going to make the biggest difference in terms of your, your timeline, um, especially if you're putting a good deal of that toward savings. Uh, starting yeah. a business has also allowed me to develop all kinds of skills. It's allowed me to, you know, have the time freedom to start, investing in passion projects, you know, uh, when yeah. you start earning a certain amount, you are building time freedom for yourself. And that is kind of a window into the RE lifestyle that totally becoming financially independent affords. And, you know, I mean, if we're just talking about places to optimize your income and how you're spending money, having a business is a great point of leverage. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So that's that's been the thing that I wish I had started many years earlier. I just did not have the guts to do it. I didn't have any of the examples in my life, in my family. You know, everyone yeah. had just been they had been an employee. And um, oh yeah, mine so too. It's a big risk for me. And it, oh man, it's been so rewarding. So I I think anyone can do this. Starting off like side hustles are becoming really really popular now. And, uh, you know, that's essentially how I started this business. I started it moonlighting while I was working for another yeah. firm. And so it's possible for anybody. Definitely. Okay. Jason. Oh, yeah. This is the last one, man. They've this is, stuck with us. They're going to hear it. This is the one that everyone asks. Oh, so <laughs> many times and, I've answered this and question. And we got to answer it again. But I, I'm, do. I'm hoping you're going to have a different answer this time, man. Oh, gosh, okay, so we'll what's see. your fire number slash net worth? You're going to give it to us right now. Oh, I get to go first? Oh, it's even worse. <laughs> I don't know. My answer, it feels so boring to me. But, I mean, I, I feel like I should state it because then you're going to give yours. Uh <laughs> And my answer is not meant to be cheeky. I just, honestly, 
my numbers are effectively useless to anybody else. And that's the same answer I give whenever anybody asks, you know, anyone's fine number is a factor of three things. One, your expenses, two, how long you think you'll live and three, your risk tolerance. So without that context, a number is a voyeuristic exercise. I feel like everybody wants to know how big that Scrooge McDuck pile of gold coins is that somebody else has. Um, I mean, I guess the better question is, what do you really want to know? If there's something you haven't asked me yet about my lifestyle or what have you that is the real question, ask away. But, you know, we have shared so much of ourselves, our <laughs> yeah. lives, our disappointments, you know, some you know, quite a few real numbers, withdrawal rate and longevity estimates and all that. But, you know, to keep a couple things back, I don't know, seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah. What do you say? You know, I, I'll push back on that just, I mean, because someone's, right. someone's going to ask away. Oh, I know that. <laughs> and what they're going to ask for are all the other little components that the, sure. the details. Sure, like back, back calculate my number. Yes, exactly. Great. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I think it's, it, there is kind of a voyeuristic quality to this. There's a curiosity. There you want, you know, there's a natural tendency for people to compare those, themselves to others, right? How successful is that person versus me? And what I think you and I have done, and I, I've done a lot of thinking on this question actually, because I thought, you know, what is at the root of this? And I think yeah. in some respects, That's what it's, I mean. it's about authority and credibility. You know, like in the Fat Fire Reddit sub, you have to get now, you know, verified. Verified, yeah. yeah. So, and I don't know what they do if they like show your bank account to some I don't moderator. Know. I, don't, on I, I think this, in part, is about just trying to understand that the people you're listening to on the podcast, on this YouTube channel, have some kind of lived experience which you are inspired by or respect. Right. And I think you and I have been pretty good about putting guardrails around this. We've put, we've said we're in chubby fire, which is two and a half to 5 million roughly. Yep. Right. Okay. We've, I think been good about saying it's not a lean fire, yep. you know, kind of number, which suggests a certain lifestyle. It's not a traditional number and it's not a fat fire number. So you have some good idea of what that range is. And that equates to like, you could do the basic math on any, on either end of that range and try and understand where we fit in that lifestyle. And I am really, I mean, I love seeing other people's numbers. I, there's, there is a, a nice quality to knowing someone that I'm following, like what they have in the bank, but it's not the be all end all. I think there's some advantage to looking at like, say, in a really compressed context, like a work situation, like yeah. my wife, for example, has had people share their salary information with her and she Likewise. shared hers. And I've done the same with other professionals in my courses and my group. So people have some idea of like what to expect and what's reasonable so that they're not taken advantage of. There's a lot of discrimination in those situations. Oh, yeah. And I 100%. feel like there's a lot of positive things that, then that can come from sharing that information. But here, I only see negatives that can come from this. You know, putting your financials out in a publicly, you know, visible forum is just asking for trouble. That's the way I feel. And, you know, my my other business YouTube channel is not, I'm not famous or anything, but I've been subject to physical threats, harassment, identity theft. People like, showing up at your house. Yeah, I mean, just people, there are bad actors everywhere. And I, um, I get passionate about it because I feel like the same that you do. We've shared a lot of information. This is a hard line that my wife and I have chosen to draw. Likewise. And if it means that we have diminished credibility in this space and, and you're not inspired by the story, then, you know, so be it. That's something that that's a risk I'm willing to take. Likewise, we will get accused of dodging it once again. But, <laughs> I, you know, I feel pretty good about the level of disclosure <laughs> we have with our audience. It's a lot of trust. I think our audience repays that trust by sharing many of them very openly about their lives. And I think that's a very positive relationship. I'm really yeah. happy with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, one of the strengths that I find in some of the communities I spend time in, like the discord I've mentioned, is that people choose to remain anonymous and they share their very openly. They show their balance sheets. They show their trajectories over time. And I think that's really valuable, especially for people, you know, younger who are just new coming to fire to see all these examples of different people in different industries. Um, so I see the value in that, but in that forum where my identity is known, I don't share those specific numbers there either. 
um, and I haven't been harassed about it. I, I hope that I'm correct, that they don't mind that. But um, I think I share really freely about basically everything else. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, you're 49. I'm 49. We've been investing for 30 years. Right. Uh, you've already fired. Like, we know it's in this range. So, like, there shouldn't be any question about credibility here. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah. I and... promise I'm not lying. I really <laughs> did stop showing up to work. On June 6, 2020. Yeah, and we're open and honest about what, what we're pursuing. Like, this is the range that we're pursuing. Like, the close enough, right? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I hope so. Like I said, I, so. I, I don't think we get harassed about this, but yeah. there is a lot of curiosity on this point. Sure. So we felt like we needed to bring it up again, and we're happy to do so. Well, Eric, I think there's there's no better way to sum this up than to just thank our audience for submitting all these questions, for being here on this journey with us. Uh, it's been tremendous, and I hope that people enjoyed us trying to answer some of these. Thank you, guys. Two sides of five doesn't happen without you, so really appreciate it. You know, we get such kind comments, and you know, occasionally people will ask us what they can do to support the show. Honestly, it's as simple as just share it with somebody who you think can benefit from our content. Like and subscribe to our channel. Rate the podcast if you're an audio podcast listener. It takes so little time, but it's the only way that you know we can get the visibility. It's a huge field in financial education, and Two Sides of Fi is still a very small show. Um, so you know all these things help us out more than you realize. So we appreciate you taking those steps. And uh, anyone who contributes a super thanks, it's all going to go to my Fi number. So Jason, I'd like you uh, to commit to that right now. Uh, I will commit to that. <laughs> <laughs> Super thanks. We'll go to Eric's fine number. <laughs> Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.